0: It's like very, very screechy. Very energetic, though. We'll give her that. Very energetic. She's got more energy than all of us. Uh, we are in Romans chapter 2. Are we ready to do this? I want to first of all say, um, man, this weekend has been a busy one, hasn't it? On Friday night, we had our worship night. No, I don't think so. Is it? No. I'm good over here. Um, there we go. Is that right? It's beginning to happen. Okay. Friday night was a ton of fun. How late did you guys go, by the way? Because I was, I was out at the old man hour. I was like 830. Man, gosh, I got to get out of here. How, did you guys go late on Friday? Wasn't it too late? Yeah, Not too late? Okay. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. late. Woo-wee. <laughs> You guys are crazy. (laughs) No, it was a good time. It was such a blessing uh, to come together and worship. And I know a lot of people were involved with making that happen. And Eric and Uriah and the worship team and Havala and Ali downstairs. Really, that was a Kaya-led thing primarily. So thank you for that. I want to applaud anybody that was involved for that. Thank you for for, for saying that. And then last night we had our Christmas party. And that is obviously why you guys are tired, I think. I don't know. Uh, But, man, that was a lot of fun, too. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody. I think, man, really it was Carla spearheaded that thing and everybody on her team that was helping her with that. I know that, man, I'm not really sure everybody that was involved, but man, thank you for that. It was a good time and the chili was good. And um, I'm I'm straight today, like having no bowel issues. (laughs) So I appreciate that. Usually like when there's a chili party, you don't know how things are going to be the next morning. Right? Like but we're all we're all here, I think. But anyway, it was a good time to thank you guys. Jiso, you have bowel issues or <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh that's what I was gonna Okay. We gotta pray uh, for Rachel
1: Bui
0: because I think she's sick. Rachel Ong you mean. Yeah, no, yeah. No 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 no. Um, I can't understand. We heard, heard,
1: heard her too. Yes. But
0: there's uh Rachel Bui. She's sick today. Oh okay Okay, another
1: Rachel.
0: Oh, okay. Real Rachel. What's going on right now? Real Rachel. Um, well, Yeah. Okay. okay, so we should pray. Let's pray again. Can we do that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, God, we are grateful to be here. And um, Lord, this is my family. These are my friends. I'm excited about just hanging out with them and being with them and having this opportunity to open... Your word with them, God. I pray that you would use me to communicate what you, uh, your word says clearly, and and I don't want anyone to be confused uh, by the text. Um, God, you have uh, so beautifully laid out uh, exactly what it is we should be believing and, and what it is that we should understand, and um, and God. So I just pray that you would use me uh, to make that clear. God, I pray for both Rachels who are sick. Um, both Rachels are sick this morning. So, Lord, I pray that you would be with both of them and take care of them and heal them. Um, Lord, you are the great physician, and uh, you are a friend to those who are in need and hurting. And so, Lord, I pray that you would extend uh, your hand of healing uh, upon them, and you'd allow them to recover fully so they could be back with us, uh, worshiping and and, and enjoying uh, your presence. Lord, I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Um, Okay. so. Mike Renault, awesome having him here. Um, That was a good time. So it's been two weeks since we've been together, though. Okay? Uh, And last time we got together, we discussed a very easy topic to talk about, hypocrisy. That was fun. Right? We talked about uh, what it meant to be hypocritical. And and we discussed that the tendency of a person, uh, when they grow fixated on comparing themselves to other people, what's the outcome of that, right? Like, so what happens when you begin looking at other people's lives okay, and then comparing them to your own? What's the outcome of that? What, what is the logic? What's the train of thought that gets you there? And how does that affect uh, how God perceives you? Okay, So a hypocrite is someone who might focus on the activities and, and the sinful struggles of others and they think condescendingly. Right? They, think, they think themselves better. And over time, this type of person grows exceed, uh, increasingly unrealistic concerning themselves. They get more and more deluded concerning how God perceives them. And they put themselves in a favorable position, and they, and they look down upon other, other people. And the God, Bible characterizes these people uh, as religiously pious, proud, and hypocritical. And you know what? We are all guilty of this, aren't we? This isn't something that when we read about it is unfamiliar. When we read about the hypocrisy of these Jews and Gentiles in in Rome, these believers, it's not an unfamiliar thing. You know, sometimes it's really easy to read the Bible and think that it's about other people. Like when you understand historical context and you start getting a grasp of the Bible and you start looking at it a little bit more intellectually, sometimes... You can lose the fact that God preserved this word for you, can't you? That's really hypocritical to think that way. It's really pious of you when you refuse to see the Bible as a looking glass and a mirror for yourself. We all struggle with hypocrisy. We all struggle with it. And as one loses their biblical reasoning, as they neglect certain biblical principles, then all they have left to hold on to is a hollow shell of religion. And what good is that hollow shell? What good is that to us? The only thing that that religion can do is breed hypocritical thought and a wasted life. And so let's look again briefly. Let's, let's look back at what we studied uh, in terms of how a, a hypocrite thinks. And I want you to look to see if you're guilty of any of these things. And if so, we need to continue to correct hypocritical thought in our lives. So the first thing that we need to look at. You can go. Yeah, there we go. Hypocritical thinking, number one. A hypocrite believes that they have more favor with God because other sins appear more egregious than their own. In verse one of chapter two, it says, Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. It, <laughs> We don't see them as the same, though. Isn't that the problem? That's part of the problem. The hypocritical thinking uh, is, a, is about forgetting that our sin is equal, equally as detestable to God as the sin of an alcoholic or a fornicator or, or someone who's addicted to pornography. Our sins, God doesn't see them In a hierarchy of sin. Now yes, the consequences are different for different types of sin. But when God looks at our lives, He sees your sin. And He sees it as egregious. But yet, we've created a hierarchy, a system in our mind that says that there are certain types of sin that are particularly detestable to God. And if I don't fall into that sin category, then I am somehow better off. And that's wrong. That's wrong thinking. And it's hypocritical, hypocritical, because the Bible says that all of sin comes sh- short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, there's not one of us that, that, that haven't fallen short. Paul tells the believers in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter four verse 20. He tells the believers in Ephesus not to forget that purging sin from our lives is a lifelong process. And that tomorrow morning, when I wake up, or this afternoon, that that I will have to deal with the sins of my life. And that I will have to assess myself against the truth of God's word. And I will fall short, and I will have to address those things. That's exactly what he talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. He says, But ye have not uh, not so learned Christ. If so, be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. That ye put off Christ concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So he writes this letter to a church that really, Ephesus, when we read the book of Ephesians, there's a lot of maturity in this church, especially compared to some of the other churches that we read about in the New Testament. This is a mature body of people. And Paul is reminding them that it's their job to daily consider their own sin, and to put it away and put on the new man. And it's only the pious and religious people that tend to forget that they have that yuckiness, right? That every day that they are kind of they have the residue of their sin, and it has to be purged, it has to be cleansed, it has to be confessed, it has to be dealt with. And so, in hypocritical think- thinking, we often categorize uh, categorize our sins as less. Lesser sins, especially as we grow, right? As we continue on, isn't it true that our sins just get more uh, subtle, right? Our sins just grow more more subtle. They're maybe not as rudimentary. They're maybe not as crude as the people that we see around us. They're more subtle, but they're equally as egregious to God. Does this make sense? Hypocritical, uh, Hypocritical thinking number two, a hypocrite forgets. It's in God's very nature to chastise the proud. The hypocrite forgets that God's watching. Verse two. Um, let's see here. Is it up there? I'm going to read it off the board. Uh, verse two says, "But we are so uh, we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such sins, uh, such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them?" which do such things and do us the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. But isn't that our thinking? That is our thinking, is that a lot of times we forget that God is watching and inspecting and, and, and looking at our lives. And so because we think we're going without a watchful eye, that, we, that our things are hidden, they're tucked away, that God doesn't know. Jeremiah 17.10 says, The Lord searched the heart, The Lord searched the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. In other words, God's eyes don't miss anything. Those sins that you think are hidden from your family or from your friends, the things that you haven't yet confessed to your Bible study or to the leaders in your life, those things that you're not dealing with, they don't go unseen. And God knows. And you are just as accountable to those things that are hidden as to those that have sins that are seen. And they must be dealt with. And God will deal with them if we, if we choose not to. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Our pride and our inability to confess sin to God and to deal with things in our lives doesn't change the fact that, that God is going to enter in and deal with them on our behalf. He will if you call yourself Christian, God will chastise the sin out of your life. And if that doesn't make you fearful, then you are a hypocrite. You are a hypocrite. Hypocritical thinking number 3, a hypocrite forgets it is in their best interest to repent of pride in light of God's goodness, forbearance, and patience. They forget that it's in their best interest to deal with sin. Verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Hypocritical thinking. Because when God is absent from our thoughts, we don't acknowledge his mercy towards us. Okay, so think about that. Before I want to go down a train of, of, of thought right here. When God isn't in our minds and we don't spend time with Him, and our Christianity is about religion and following motions, then we forget God's nature, His very nature, right? Like, like this is true of our relationships in life, isn't it? Like, if you don't spend time with people, you, know, you begin to know of them, but you don't really know them in, in, in the nuances of their life, right? Like, if you grow apart from a friend, say you had a friend, like, in middle school, and you grew apart from them, you know of them, the relationship is casual, but you don't know the intimacies of who they are and you don't know their character. And this is true for us in our relationship with God. As we forget, uh, as, we, as we fall away from his word and we don't peer into the loving eyes of Christ, we forget his mercy, don't we? We forget his forbearance. We forget his long suffering towards us. We forget the nature of who he is. And, and you know what happens? Guys, listen to me, sleepyheads. When we forget God's mercy then we forget what he needed to be merciful for. In other words, if we forget his mercy, then we forget our own sin. His mercy sheds light on the wickedness of our life, and it should force us, in our thankfulness for who he is, it should force us to our knees in repentance. This is why, brothers and sisters, this is why you cannot get away with just calling yourself a Christian. You have to know him for what his word says because if you don't, you will forget the God that loves you. And when you forget the God that loves you, you will forget what he saved you from. That is absolute sinful depravity, disgusting wickedness. That is who you were and that is who you will be characterized by if you don't address and repent from the sin in your life. Hypocrite. Address your sin. Address your sin. Because he's worth being right with. Hi- hypocritical thinking number four. There's some verses there. Did you see them? Taylor, are you with me there? Okay. We'll keep going. Hi- hypocritical thinking number four. A hypocrite struggles to remember that they will meet a final judgment. And this is crucial. And this, is, this goes back to a point that Mike... Renault made. Do you guys remember? There was something that Mike said that will stick with me, okay, uh, from last week's message about how the judgment of God should inform the way that we witness and evangelize. Like if we're not constantly considering God's judgment, right, then there is no holy or holy fear. There's nothing to drive us to be open and bold with people in our lives. Considering and thinking about how God has a final judgment for us, that te- at the, the, the end, you will get a grade back on your report card. Like all the artwork that you neglected to do throughout the semester. Oh, the sympathy over here. Don't be so sympathetic. No, no, these are good students. These are good students. Right? you neglect to fulfill your obligations to the assignment, at the end, the only outcome is going to be what? A bad grade. Okay, now, God is measuring our lives, believers. He's taking account of everything. And the thinking of the hypocrite is that it's inconvenient to consider his judgment. And so we don't. It's inconvenient to our lives because it halts us in our steps. It forces us to be sober-minded. It makes it so that there can be no vain relationship, that every relationship that we have, it has an eternal value, that every aspect of our life must be addressed and held up and compared to Jesus Christ because one day you will answer for everything that you've done. Romans 13, 12 says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And this is the point, and we'll see this repeatedly in Romans. He addresses this a lot in Romans. That God's coming, that Jesus Christ's coming is eminent. No man knows the hour. See, here's the thing. You don't know when the test is going to be over. And when God says, stop, just like the ACT, you put that pencil down, you're done, right? And then the judgment comes. And when Jesus Christ returns, the same thing will be true. And that coming is eminent. And the early believers believed that and it informed the way they lived. And it caused Christianity to explode all around the world because they believed that Christ's coming is eminent. And now... 1800 years, 1900 years later, we find ourselves in a situation where we've forgotten that Jesus Christ's return is imminent. And so we've foregone the pressing nature of the gospel. We've put it aside. We've forgotten that there's going to be a final grade. And God has a judgment that accurately reflects the record and measure of our response to the gospel, but also to our deeds. And that's what we're going to address today. Okay. Before we do that, I you to go to my first main point, please. Here's the first key point. Okay, this is going to, get, guys. Today is going to be tough. Did you see the name of the message, by the way? <laughs> judgment. A righteous God. All right. That's never a good sign for you when the slideshow starts with the word judgment. Okay. So this is heavy lifting. All right. But here's our first key point. While the unsaved person, you know that person in Romans chapter 1 that we addressed? The unsaved person. While the unsaved person neglects to see the great white throne judgment. You might not know that term, we're going to come back to that. They neglect to see the great white throne judgment. The saved hypocrite always neglects to remember, that word remember is important, the judgment seat. Okay, so for the for the unbeliever, they have a hard time seeing that they're going to be judged for their, their lives, and that one day they're going to stand before God and they're responsible for how, how they responded to the, the gospel when it came to them. How did they respond? Okay, and what you'll read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, is that there's something called the great white throne judgment. And it's a judgment that's, that's reserved for people who did not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they will stand before him, And the knees that refuse to bow in this lifetime will be broken down to the ground and they will be forced to bow before the king. And then, guys, I I hate to say it, but that person, that individual, will be cast into hell for eternity. Because he's just and he's right and our sin is inexcusable. That's why. That's why. And you can read about it and and it's way heavier to read about than for me to talk about. It's a heavy thing. You can, you can see exactly how it works. God's going to have a book and your name is going to either be in it or not. And some of you in this room this morning, you have never made a decision concerning who Jesus Christ is. And you've put it off and you've put it off and you've put it off or you've decided that you don't believe it. Do not be ignorant concerning the creator of the, of the whole world. He made you, He owns you, you do not belong to you unless you want to. And there's a judgment that comes with you choosing to not, not let go, God own your life. Do you understand that? It's a very sobering thought, it's a very intense thought, and we're going to address that today. Now there's another judgment that's coming. And it comes when Jesus Christ comes for His bride, we will stand accused as well. There will be a judgment that's reserved just for believers, just for people who responded rightly to the gospel. You will be accountable for your life as well. And that's called the the judgment seat. And there will be people, there will be believers that stand before God in regret of their whole lives because they wasted the truth that they had. They chose to live wickedly. They chose to live, live, live sinfully. And the trajectory of their life was oppositionary to that of God. And so the truth is that for the saved person, the saved hypocrite specifically, your problem is that you don't remember the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back for you. And then what he does, when he, come, when he gets home and he shows up and he pull, the car pulls into the driveway and the bedroom isn't clean, like he asked you to clean it when he left the house, there will be, there will be swats. <laughs> there will be punishment. There will be, there will be, there'll be time out, right? Like... When you don't obey the Father, there is a judgment associated with that child of God. Are you hearing me? I still can't tell. I can't tell right in this moment if you're still just sleepy or this is a heavy thought. It should be a heavy thought. Because it scares me to death. To think that when I stand before Jesus that he might not say, good job, well done. That lends me to a a certain degree of fear, healthy fear. And it should change the way that I act now. So hypocrite, put away your vain thinking. Now as we move forward, we're going to get into the, the, the righteous judgment of God and what his judgment looks like and what it is that he is assessing. Okay? So you ready to look forward? Because this was kind of review. Yeah? Yep. Mm-hmm. Come on, guys. You, you know, yeah. you got to kind of yeah, get the blood flowing into your cheeks. Take some deep breaths. Get the oxygen going. As we look at the following verses in Romans chapter 2, we have to understand something very important because I don't want anyone to get confused by these verses. Okay? Okay? We must understand the context. These verses... Are often misconstrued as though they have something to do with our salvation and they don't. They deal with a different issue, a broader issue. Okay? And we can tell that by the phrasing in verse 6. Okay? What does verse 6 say? Who will render to every man, every man, according to his deeds. So we're addressing now, we've been talking about the hypocrite and we will continue to talk about the religiously pious. Okay, but now we're also talking a little bit broader. We're talking about how every man is going to be judged based on the trajectory of their life, whether it's eternal thinking or temporal thinking, fleshly thinking. And we also know, just, just to make sure that we're sure, 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 we know from Paul's writings, Galatians and Ephesians and Romans, that we cannot earn our salvation. Amen? We cannot earn our salvation. It isn't our deeds that get us in heaven. It's not our works that get us into heaven. Okay? But our deeds, as we'll see, are the outcome of what we believe. Okay, the faith that we have, or the lack of faith that we have, the deeds follow. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Galatians 3:22, Romans 3, 22 through 26. All tell us that the, God's salvation is a gift to us. And all we have to do is receive that gift in humility, and we belong to Him. You understand? We become His. So let's not confuse things. What is it that God's saying in these verses? He is saying in this portion of the text that the God of, of heaven and earth will do right in His judgment, that He will do right. In Romans chapter 2, verses 6-11, to Paul is addressing something broader. The motivations of a person that will either result in righteous or false pursuits. He is explaining a basic principle of God. And this is the principle. A righteous judge judges according to good deeds just as much as he is, is judging according to truth. Okay? And that's what we just got done talking about. He is both judging our response to truth. But also the deeds that follow that response. He sees them, he weighs them. I mean, he's got got every hair on your on your head counted. You better believe that he's making a record of your life. And no person on earth escapes the need to respond to truth. In faith or in deed. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, saved or unsaved, you are held accountable. You are held accountable. Verse six: Who will render to every man according to his deeds? To them, whom by patience, uh, patient, continuous, and well doing, seek for glory, and honor, and immortality, eternal life. So, what we have here is a person that's being described. Okay, a person that's being described. This individual is patient, and continuous, and well doing, seeking glory, and honor, and immortality, eternal life. In other words, the trajectory of this person is a spiritual trajectory. When they live their life, they live it in light of spiritual truths. In light of what they know of scripture. And they pursue and they live in that kinetic movement. Does that make sense? This person's motivations are eternal. A person who seeks and lives according to God's desires. Now, is this person saved? Yeah. Yeah, now we're not talking about salvation. But a person who's motivated by spiritual things is a person who knows Jesus Christ. Now, now let's give us an example. You guys ready for an example? Yeah. Yeah. Nate, are you with me? You feel comfortable saying amen? Amen. There you go. I'm sorry. I'm going to keep messing with you guys. This is what we do in class. So I'm going to have a hard time avoiding that. Um, Okay. So... David is the perfect example of this. He's the perfect example of how God measures the trajectory of one's life. Okay? Now, did David sin? We talked about this last time we came together. Did David sin? Oh man, his sin was egregious, wasn't it? His wickedness hurts to even think about. And then and then how he just was like completely oblivious to the fact that God was watching his every move and that he had counted for David's sin, he was like completely oblivious to it. And it hurts to read about. But what does the Bible call David? How is he characterized? Man. He's a man after God's own heart. What kind of assessment is that? That's a good assessment. So, how does someone like David, who's got such wicked sin in his life, have a good assessment before God? Well, because the assignment of his life primarily looked like A's. He had an F on the report card, but it primarily looked like A's. And his motivations were primarily pure. And the trajectory of his life was primarily turned towards God. And again, we're not talking about the issue of salvation. We're not talking about God standing in heaven and saying, well, you were primarily good, so come on in. We're talking about how God measures the life of a man or a woman and he sees every moment of your life, and you're accountable for that. In every age of humanity, there are people who respond to light and pursue it. Noah, he saw the truth, and he responded rightly. He built that ark, didn't he? Not every, not every part of his life looked right, did it? Uh-uh, there's some messed up stuff in that story that we will not address today. Okay? Ask your small group leader about Noah. Okay? right. Eric, you can have that conversation privately. But Noah had his own sins. But his life was kingdom bent. There's people all through Scripture that we can read about who have this testimony. Abraham, when the promise came, he responded. Jabez. You know what my favorite is? The apostles, the fishermen. They cast down their nets didn't they? They gave up something. The trajectory of their lives changed in a moment. They put down the nets and they became fishers of men. They put away the temporal. They put away the fleshly. They put away the material. They they put away the now and started considering the future. That God has something greater for us and our trajectory of our lives should be devoted to following kingdom things. Now there's those who are the exact opposite. There are people in scripture that we can read about. Cain is is one of the first great examples of that. Knew what God had for him. Knew what God wanted. And yet chose a different direction. And it completely altered the remainder of his life. He was a wicked man. Bent on wickedness. Nimrod. Saul. King Saul. I mean, the the, the majority of his life is characterized by absolute wicked living. In fact, I can only, in the entire account of 1 Samuel, remember one time where he did something right. And the remainder of his testimony is just trash. He's held accountable for that. Judas. Man, that whole time, Judas Iscariot wanted things done his way. And though he followed behind Jesus and he followed in his physical footsteps, he refused to follow in the uh, the, the, uh, the spiritual footsteps of Jesus Christ. And so we can understand that there are both people who follow darkness and they follow follow righteousness. That there are some people who are concerned with spiritual things and there are some that are not. And the story of their life reflects that truth. Look at verse 8. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Okay, There are some who do not obey the truth. There are those whose lives are characterized by their lack of obedience to truth and instead live temporal and materialistic lives. There are those without faith, without virtue, both saved and unsaved alike. And so that's why this isn't about salvation. What we're talking about is both the unsaved and the saved alike. There are are some saved people who don't obey the truth. Hence the, 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 the introduction about hypocrites. And God's taking note. God's taking note. What you do with your life reflects who you are as a person. A person of faith is motivated to act according to their faith. A carnally motivated person will act according to their, la- their lack of faith. Uh, Sam mentioned this verse, and, and I had to include it. He mentioned this verse this morning. I had to include it. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, if you want to turn there real quick. This verse is a perfect reflection or, or a, 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 a pattern verse for what we're talking about. Romans 8, 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so, here's the key question for you. If you can pull that up. Is that trajectory of your life, is the whole of your life, assess yourself right now, Is it characterized by your desire to pursue eternal things? Just like what Mike talked about. Are you running the race with the end of the race in mind? Is that a part of your living? Okay, so let's make this super practical. Do you think about the judgment every day? You know, um, my students are sometimes uh, guilty of putting off what could be done in class that day, right? So my class is a studio-based class, right? And in class, uh, we have we have assignments and we do, do these projects. I introduce the project, and then they have a certain amount of time to complete their painting or their drawing or whatever it is that they're creating in that time, right? Now, how do you think most students, when they have a project, when you have an essay to write at UMKC? Do you get right to work? No, 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 no. So many times we are guilty of thinking that that the judgment is so far away that we don't need to work right now. Now I've got some students that when they get an assignment, they work every day on that assignment. Until the assignment is crafted. Exactly the way that they want it to be created. And there are certain students, the the ones that are accountable daily are the ones with the best project at the end of the assignment. Duh, right? That's obvious, right? Simple logic. The person who recognizes the judgment seat of Christ daily is the person that's going to have the best life at the end. The person that's responsible every single day for handling and stewarding what God's given them to them, and they acknowledge it and they hold it, not like the reprobate, they hold it in their hands with kit gloves as though it's so precious. Those are the ones with the best judgment seat. And so the, the question remains. What is your desire and what are your motivations? See, there's a corresponding judgment to our motivations and actions. Did you know that? What is God's response to these two types of people, both the spiritually minded and the carnally minded? What is his response? See, in scripture, whenever we see the word judgment, it always deals with works, okay? It always deals with measuring your works. And he does this with precision, don't you know? Don't you know, I said that like I was from Wisconsin, didn't I? Whoops. Don't you know that God measures things precisely? You know, it's in, in Zechariah, it talks about Jesus outfitting Jerusalem. It's this beautiful picture. He's got a measuring rod, and he's outfitting Jerusalem for the future millennium. And you see him out there, and he's measuring it. And he's looking at it with precision because he knows what he wants it to be. And he's doing the same thing with your life. He sees you. You seem like, you know, you think you're unimportant to God, but you're of eternal importance to God. And there's consequences associated with those who don't want to follow. Look at verse 9. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Verse 10, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So, this is what this means very simply, very, very simply. Listen, for those that live evil and carnally, tribulation and anguish for you. For those who live faithfully, they're eternally motivated. Glory, honor, and peace. Very simple. Now, why does it say to the Jew first and also to the Gentile? Why? Why does it say that? Why does it say that? that, Have you ever thought about that? To the Jew first and also to the Gentile? And this is a very important truth. This language highlights the fact that increased light brings increased responsibility. Right? You you guys know Montana, right? I don't know, you may have heard this story before, but when Montana first started coming around... Uh, we were hanging out at, at my house and we were actually praying. we do a Bible study with him and some other guys from Summit West. We were doing a Bible study at my house. And Montana was just first figuring out what it meant to follow Jesus. He was like a, a baby Christian. And he prayed this really, really great prayer. You guys know this prayer? He, he throws himself under the bus. Oh yeah, so you know. yeah. He, it's the right prayer. Because it's the prayer of a, of a, of a humble and naive follower of Jesus Christ. And the prayer was the exact quote from Spider-Man. <laughs> with with God, I uh, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Not what the, isn't that right? Isn't that something like that? He prayed that, and everyone looked up at like, each other like, "What?" Let me
1: use my for oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Let me use my powers for good. That's right. But he was he was praying that with this in mind, right? He was praying that with this in mind. Okay, this idea that with the more light that he received, the more responsible he was for answering for it. The hypocrite's consequence precedes the heathen's simply because they were afforded more truth. Right? The Jews were mentioned before the Gentiles first the Jews. Because you were given more truth. You walked with God in the desert and in the wilderness. You know the truth. You're held accountable first and foremost because you had more light. But nonetheless, they will both be receivers of judgment. Both. Just because the Jews first doesn't mean the Gentiles excused. They're both... Available to receive judgment regardless of their circumstances and the amount of truth that they received. We learned about that in chapter 1. Which leads us to this next and very crucial point, believer. Christian, Christian, listen closely. This is for you. The more exposed to the Bible that you have been, the more obligated you are to obey with purity and precision. The more Bible you are taught, the more you will answer for when you stand before Jesus. Do you understand that? Can you hear God now? Can you hear him? But I gave you so much. Like that guy, I gave him so little, and look at what he did with so little. And I gave you so much, and you sat in that pew every single Sunday, and you were not uh, obedient to the things that I I showed you. This this principle is crucial to you because you go to a church, most of you, visitors excluded, you go to a church that holds the Bible in incredibly high regard. And every week when you come into this place or you go into your Bible study, you are receiving truth that you did not have previously. And each time you receive that little bit of truth, you are responsible for doing something with it. You don't get to just disregard it. It now belongs to you. It's been put in your hand. You don't just get to flip your hand over and walk away as though it was never there. Now, if you understand, listen, if this group of people comes to understand that truth, holy moly, you will not, a year from now, you will look like a completely different person if you understand your obligation to do something with the truth that's given you. You will be completely different. You'll be a soldier, is what you'll be. You won't just be a soldier. You will be like, I don't know, what's an important kind of soldier? Like a Marine. I know a lot about soldiering. Like a Marine or like a Green Beret. Is that a thing? Yeah, is that good? Navy SEALs. Those guys are important. You will be a stud if you could simply just recognize that each time truth is put in your hand, that you're obligated to respond rightly to it. Let's continue on. And let's look at how God is a fair judge, and we'll close with this. Verse 11, I'm going to read through 16. Verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. Boy, isn't that such a freeing, freeing verse? That exposes something in the hypocrite, who is a respecter of persons who does judge and compare, God has no prejudice. He doesn't see skin tones. Okay? He doesn't see economic status. Right? He doesn't see your your baggage. He doesn't see those things. Okay? He sees you for a soul. He's not a respecter of persons. Verse 12, For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law. Okay, that's speaking back again to the Gentiles who didn't have truth as the Jews did, right? And as many as have sinned in the law, the Jew, shall be judged according to the things that they know about the law, right? Seems fair? For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Okay, so so listen. It doesn't matter how much you know, smarty pants. Okay, It's what you do with what you know. Can you be faithful with a little? You don't deserve more if you can't be faithful with little. I mean, some of us want all this responsibility, and we haven't even been faithful to the smallest things. Isn't that interesting? Okay, let's get back in the context. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves we okay, we'll talk about that in a second, which show forth the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts. The meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. This passage is telling us that proximity or lack of proximity to truth is not an excuse for following the truth we've been given. Every person is responsible for the truth that they've been given. For the Jews, simply because they were exposed to truth, does not undo their obligation to obey it. Just because you know it, doesn't mean you do it. Right? Are you with me? And that's some of us today. That We are, we are like those Jews. Even though our heritage is the Gentile, we are like the Jews in many ways. Because we know a lot about the Bible, but we struggle to do what we are supposed to do with it. And for the Gentile, who is without truth, they have no excuse because the law itself is written in their heart. It's written in their heart. What does that mean? It means that, look at society. Look, at, look, at, look around the world. Okay? Morality. Social order. Okay? Okay? The constructs that we have in our governments and in our communities and and the morality that we hold true in our lives is simply the signature of God's creation on mankind. It's the reason that everybody doesn't just go around doing whatever they want to do. Because their heart is telling them that that's not how they should live. There's something inside of you, soul, eternal being, that is calling you towards truth. And God's fingerprint and his design, his image, is on you whether you like it or not. And so every person is without excuse because their very heart tells them that they've sinned. Even an unsaved person, when they lie to their parents, they hurt about it. They struggle through it. So both individuals exposed to the truth in different ways will be judged by the same determining factors. Listen, both Jew and Gentile, listen. Is your life kingdom focused? Or is your life fleshly and temporal? And so here's the next key point. The Christian avoids judgment by repenting of their hypocrisy and they begin to follow God. That's, that is how... That is how a Christian avoids judgment. They repent of their hypocrisy and they follow God. And they, com- they compare their own life to his word. And they devote themselves to knowing him deeply. How many of you are in cost of discipleship this morning? Look at that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Woo! <clears throat> That's amazing, folks. That's like one-tenth of who's in here today was in cost of discipleship this morning. And you know what? The people who go into cost of discipleship are saying this. I am ready to change the trajectory of my life and devote myself to the Word of God and the knowing of who God is. That's what that means. So praise God for the decision that you're making. But you have to make that decision daily. You need to begin to devote your life to knowing Him more. To being His friend. To being intimate with Him. You want to know more. You want more responsibility. Right? That's what you want. That's what a believer wants. Now let's let's turn our attention and let's ask ourselves a very important question. For an unbeliever this morning, someone who doesn't know if they're saved... They might ask themselves the question, what is God looking for in me? How does one become spiritually minded? How how does one change their motivations? How does one avoid that great white throne judgment that we were talking about earlier in the message? How does one avoid that type of judgment? And the answer is very, very simple obey the truth of Jesus Christ, repent of your sins. Let's, let's take a moment here. Let's, let's address this issue. The Bible says our contentious and our selfish behavior separate us from, separated us from a loving God. And it made us condemned. In other words, listen to me. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says that because Adam and Eve sinned, it's in our DNA. It's in our genetic code to also sin. Yeah, everybody sinned. They've told a lie. They've, they've No one raised their hand. I'm the only one raising my hand in the room. And that's really concerning to me. Everyone is sin. And you know why? Because it's, it's in you. It's in your flesh. And you tend to that direction. And you know what? From the very beginning, like I've got little babies, right? I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And both of them were, came out of the wombs sinning. Like that seems ridiculous to you, but my kids were, were jealous, covetous, angry from the very beginning, crying about ridiculous stuff. Like, get over it. Right. Yeah. right? No, but I mean, from the very beginning, life was not right for them. That <laughs> is so funny. Either that or, Trayvon, you just pinched Junior a little bit on the rear because you are helping me out. I mean, from the very beginning, we're separated from God because because our trajectory is already set in a course, in a path towards sinfulness. We began there. That's where we began. And Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so listen to me this morning, guys. For those of you who don't know where you stand with Jesus Christ, listen to me very carefully. You need to think very soberly about your sin. Because your sin has put you on a, on a, in a place where you are separated from God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of our sin is death. It's death. And death in the Bible is, is talking about hell. It's talking about separation from God. In the, in the Bible, whenever the word death comes up, what we're talking about is separation, eternal separation from God. And your sin, listen because God is holy and you're tainted, you don't deserve to be in His presence. And the only place for you when you die is hell, is separation. Do you understand? And I'm saying that in all seriousness. That is the path that you began on. Your father, the Bible says your father, when you're born, your father is Satan. Because of the decisions that your forefathers made. You belong to Lucifer himself. But the Bible tells us something amazing. That Jesus came to set us free from our sin. That he wants us to put off that bondage And put off that destiny and step away from that path and enter into a new path. And it's done very simply. Listen to me. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He came to die for your sins? And that He rose again to defeat sin in your life? And if so, simply put away that sin. Repent of it put it before him and ask for forgiveness and you'll be set free and you'll become a part of his family and the trajectory of your life will forever be changed do you understand Romans 3:23 says for all have sinned and come short of the, uh, the glory of God but verse 24 says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus that the, there's redemption in him and Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus And shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you're willing to take Jesus, the knowledge of Jesus. You you know about Jesus, right? Does everybody in here know about Jesus? If you're willing to take the knowledge of Jesus and say, you know what? I know you as Jesus, but I want to make you Lord Jesus. And I want to confess you to the world as my Lord Jesus. Guess what? His promise is that he'll save you from your sin. And you will be adopted into his family. And then you will belong to him. And he will forever keep you until the day that he returns for us. And you will then avoid the great white throne judgment. That you won't stand before him in brokenness and wickedness and your sin. But that you'll be set free. This is the purpose of mankind. This is it. This is the purpose. What are you going to do with it? See, the matter comes down to this. Now, no one in this room can say that they don't know. No one in this room can say that that I was never within the proximity of truth. No, no, no. Now you, now that you know the truth of Scripture, you're accountable to make a decision about what it says. And you don't want to leave this place today not knowing where you're going when you die. You don't want to do that. See, listen, the answer is not out there. It wasn't out there before you came in the room, was it? And when you leave, with or without a decision, the answer's still not going to be out there. It's not, the answer is not in your friends. It's not in your education, in your money in your entertainment and the things that you want to fulfill and the desires of your life, the answers to eternity don't reside there. The answer to the trajectory of your life and the motivations of who you're going to be reside reside in how you stand in relation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to pray this morning and we're going to do an invitation and we can have music and we can do whatever. But I'm going to pray this morning. And there's some of you I know in this room today that you're, you're one of two people. A, you might be a hypocrite, and you're in danger of the judgment seat of Christ. You're in danger of not hearing from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, well done, good and faithful servant. You're in danger of being sad when you stand before him. Now you're going to get interest, entrance, and the door is open to you, and you have all the wonderful things afforded to you that every other believer has, but you're going to stand in shame. Because you didn't handle the truth of God's word rightly. And you judged and condemned other people just like the Pharisees. And you need forgiveness this morning. And so you need to change that. But listen, even, even equally or if not more important, there are some of you in this room today that don't know where you're going when you die. And you don't know where you stand in relation to Jesus Christ. And if you have a friend that you're here with, you need to sit with them and talk with them and pray with them and make a decision about what you believe about Jesus Christ. Will you make him your Lord today? That's the invitation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that you see all things. And Lord, I know that you saw every moment this morning as I was getting ready, as I was getting ready to come here, how I treated my family, how I treated my friends here at church. Was I preoccupied with fleshly thoughts? Was I devoted to you? God, you see all of it, and you take me you make record. You see it. And Lord, there's, there's a judgment afforded to me based on how I decide to live daily. And so God, I pray for myself. I pray for your forgiveness, Lord. I want to live for you. I want to be eternally minded. I want every day to be a day where I think about the fact that one day you're coming back. That has to be on my heart. And that's who I want to be. That's who I want to be. When I'm at school teaching or when I'm here, when I'm with my family or my friends, I want to be characterized by, by an eternal view of my kingdom then. <coughs> Lord, for some of us in this room today, we don't know you. Like, there are some in this room who have been religious before and that didn't work. Uh, God, there's some in this room today who who um, have been uh, to church and it maybe wasn't for them before. Or They, they acknowledge you. They, they recognize Jesus, his death, his burial, resurrection, or little baby Jesus in the manger and whatnot. And they see those things and they acknowledge them intellectually, but they've never submitted to them and they've never made you Lord. God, would you impress upon their hearts even now to make a true decision to enter into a relationship with you that you're not just some idea And that you're not some philosophical approach to life. But God, you are a genuine and true God who is close to us. You're nearby. And you always have been. God, help us to respond to that rightly, even now. Lord, don't let us leave without making a decision. In your son's name, amen. Amen.
1: I just wanted to throw out an instant invitation after hearing the sermon on going and sharing Christ, on trusting and obeying the Lord. Um, if you would like an opportunity to go and evangelize, we are going to declare a manor at 2 o'clock. We're going to go and hand out 100 blankets to those that may not have them or are in desperate need. We're also going to go and share the gospel. So if you're not sure, you've never shared the gospel before, or maybe you're a veteran, Either way, if you want to take part and trust and obey the Lord and go and share after we've just heard the sermon on it, you um, can come up. I don't know all the details. We're going to go up to main service as soon as we pack up all the stuff. Um, Kyle getther Nathan Murray, Larry Smith, if you see any of those guys, grab them. I'm going to go up. Abitian and I are going to go. Um, but yeah, we have, and Carla too, she wants you to know. Woo! So um, if you want to come and share the gospel with us, man, it's I don't know if there's going to be 100 people we're going to, if there's going to be 500 or if there's going to be 20. But if you guys want to go, now's an opportunity. We can go up three tracks just like we just started. So thank you.